Welcome to episode 22 of the Invited Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. We've made it to Santiago. After five weeks of walking, sleeping in bunk beds, more walking, then COVID, then even more walking, we are now taking a well-deserved rest in the beautiful city of Santiago de Compostela. Or are we? So there's one more little stop that we can add to our roadmap. Q, can you explain? Yes, that's why we have Takeoff, where we discuss our itinerary. So last week, we had just arrived in Santiago, our final stop. But here's the thing. Since we still did not feel comfortable staying in albergues, we needed a private room for the night and they were incredibly expensive for some reason. So we had an idea. Why not go to the end of the world? See, Santiago is almost at the western tip of Spain, but not quite. And for people who want to push their Camino a bit further and reach the literal end of the road, there is a small town of Finistere, Fistera in English, located on the tip of a peninsula all the way west of Spain. Since Santiago was a bit pricey and we had arrived a day earlier than expected, we thought, hey, why not go see the end of the road for ourselves? But we took a bus this time. No more walking for us. We just stayed the night in Finistere at the Hotel Ancora before returning to Santiago for the weekend because at this point we had a hotel booked through Marriott points at 17k points per night. The gorgeous Palacio del Carmen, part of the Marriott's autograph collection, it was built out of a former convent and it was a 10 minutes walk from the old city. We stayed there for two nights before heading out to our final destination on this worldwide trip, Porto in Portugal. Here we stayed three nights at a Holiday Inn in Gaia, which is the southern suburb of Porto, entirely paid with 45k ISG points. But before all that, let's go back to Santiago for a second. We just arrived on the main square. What do we do afterwards? And now it's time for in-flight entertainment. So in Santiago, of course, you heard that we emoted a bunch, or rather, I emoted a bunch in the square of the cathedral, and we saw lots of people arriving all throughout the day and celebrating their success at the end of their journey. And Santiago is a beautiful city, essentially built around the relic of St. James, which is housed in the cathedral. We arrived in Santiago around 11 a.m. Remember, it was a 10k walk, so not too bad, and we really did not make any stops at all. And we had just two hours before our bus to Finisterre. We went to the pilgrim's office. The pilgrim's office is not at the cathedral itself. It's around the corner, so you do have to walk there. And that's where we could get our Compostelas, or the Certificate of Completion. This is a certificate, the official certificate that recognized that we took the Camino del Norte all the way to Santiago, and they checked all of our stamps along the way to make sure that we indeed did do all of the stages, or at least had the two stamps for the last 100 kilometers. 
and to help us get in line for the Compostela the morning of us reaching Santiago, Quentin actually went online and got a QR code for us to kind of virtually queue. The officials at the Pilgrim office have this counter system, and once you reach there, they all actually give you your Compostela printed on this gorgeous paper, and they'll even write it with your Latin name. So unfortunately for me, I'm Chinese, so my Latin name is exactly the same as my given name, Huan Song, but Quentin is actually written as Quintinium, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I quite liked it. And on top of that, when you get your Compostela, you can get a second document that acknowledges the distance you've traveled. In our case, you know, it's like an extra three euros or something. So in our case, we went for that option and we were certified to have walked, or at least traveled, 828 kilometers in total, which is about what we had calculated. So we felt quite good about that. After that, we simply went to the bus station, which is about a 25 minutes walk from the pilgrim's office. So yes, a bit more walking after all. And we just took the bus to Finisterre. We arrived at Finisterre, we got to the hotel. I would say, you know, Juan napped on the bus, I think I napped in the hotel room. At this point, we were so physically and mentally drained that we just kind of slept on and off for the next couple hours. But the important thing is that we made our way to the Faro de Finisterre, which is the lighthouse, which is not in Finisterre proper, but just a bit further again which is the actual end of the world, the actual kilometer zero. It's about a three kilometers walk from Finisterre itself. And when you get to the lighthouse, there's this incredible scene of people, other pilgrims, that are sitting on this rocky outcrop, trying to catch the sunset, trying to see the sunset. And everyone just came there to sort of together appreciate the fact that we've gone as far as one can go. There is simply no more earth to walk. It's just the sea, and on the other side of the sea is the Americas. So we uh, we just sat there with the others trying to catch the sunset. There was a tiny sliver of sun, but very, very small. It was otherwise cloudy. No matter, it was still an incredible moment. For me, I really started to... This is where I kind of started feeling a sense of completion. As we had explained last week, Juan really felt it as soon as we arrived at the cathedral. For me, it was more of a longer burn really. And from there we walked back and we had an incredible dinner. So I know I have complained about Spanish food in the previous episodes, but this restaurant makes up for all of it. It was the Restaurante Terra. It is essentially a Michelin star-esque experience, honestly, with a daily tasting menu, wine pairing, every little dish that has been carefully crafted by the chefs, it is absolutely incredible. It's a very small restaurant and that costs less than $40 a person or 40 euros a person. These days, that's worth about the same. If they get a Michelin star in the future, and we really think that they will quite soon, remember, you heard it here first. The next morning, we went back to Santiago and arrived back into the city at around 11 a.m. again. We went back to the square and visited the historic city some more by foot. And we visited places like a beautiful covered market where we saw a lot of local foods being made and prepared. And that's where I had the best two euro oysters ever. And then we actually had to go pick up our mail from the careers office. So if you remember on day one of our walk, where we carried 4.5 extra kilos of stuff with us that we mailed to Santiago from Irún, 
That's what we actually went and picked up, and everything worked out perfectly. So, fellow pilgrims or future pilgrims, if you're listening to this, it is totally possible to send your mail ahead and pick things up in Santiago. All across Santiago, there are a lot of buildings that were former monasteries and convents, and that were all built around this relic.、Uh, for example, we were able to visit the Pilgrims Museum. This museum does not cost too much; it's something like two to three euros on a regular admissions. But on Saturday afternoons after two thirty p.m., it is free, and it has a great exhibit not only on the Camino de Santiago and the various routes you can take to visit, but it also had a really great exhibit on just pilgrimages around the world and the meaning of being a pilgrim. So that was really interesting to see. Of course, it is almost mandatory as a pilgrim to attend the pilgrims' mass within the cathedral. So we attended the 7:30 p.m. mass, and it was a really incredible experience. I'll let Quentin talk to you more about it. Yeah, the pilgrims' mass is a rite of passage once you've made it to Compostela. Even if you are not Catholic, neither of us are Catholic, but it is considered really something that you ought to see, and we 100% agree. There's really this feeling of you. First of all, the cathedral is gigantic. It contained hundreds of people, and there was still room for an entire symphonic orchestra. Like it was just, it's a huge place. It is very, you know. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance. There's a lot of different bishops and priests and whatnot. And the person giving the mass is the Archbishop of Santiago de Compostela, who is actually one of the You know, top figures in the Catholic Church. So again, even if you're not Catholic, we would recommend going there because it is such a special moment. And we got very lucky because the cathedral is also known for this very big. How would you call this? The Buta Fumiero. So it's a it's one of those、uh, incense burners that they have normally in Catholic churches. But this one is gigantic. It's not a handheld one. It is a massive pendulum. That they very rarely these days actually activate, and we got very lucky because that night they did activate it. So you have this—I cannot express how big it is. It's you know, it's just this gigantic jar that just spews smoke all over the cathedral while it swings widely through the main nave.、Uh, it, there's actually like an order of priests or monks or volunteers—I do not know. Wearing particular garb, whose only job was to come and pull on the rope to activate the mechanism. It was a very cool moment, and after that, we also were very lucky to go for the pilgrims' blessing. Now we did not exactly understand what was going on. We just heard the security guard at the end of the mass explaining that if you wanted something that had to do with the pilgrimage, you had to stay in the left side of the. Of the church, of the cathedral, of the main、uh, room. So we did not understand. We got there, and we were handed a black card, just a little bit of cardstock, completely black. And there was a an assistant to the archbishop, now completely dressed in white, who essentially asked us to follow him. He started singing、um, Catholic chants in in Spanish, of course. Everything was in Spanish, which meant we did not understand. Ninety percent of it, but we got the feeling at least came through, and with those little black cardstocks, we actually went into an inner courtyard of the cathedral, so in open air, 
where they had brought a little fire pit cauldron thing where they um essentially started a fire i say they so the the um i call him the deacon i don't know if he's a deacon but i call him the deacon uh the deacon sort of started this fire and invited us to burn those little black cards of course as a symbol of renewal as a symbol of leaving behind all the pain and the suffering and the doubts that we might have felt throughout the pilgrimage, essentially to offer the chance at a new moment. It was extremely emotional. This is the moment where I started crying. Really? Yeah, I cried a bit. Oh, Not, you did? Yeah, a bit. Not that much, but it, it really felt very strong. And everyone was gathered around in just one small circle of maybe about 20, 30 people. After that, we went to uh, back into the cathedral where the deacon explained to us a bit the history of the cathedral, and the cathedral is very known for its portico, showed us a bit the portico, although you cannot approach it too much. And then we actually were allowed to go and sit by the altar. Now, this is one of the fanciest cathedrals in the world. The altar, as you can imagine, is incredibly gilded and wrought and made absolutely beautifully it's the work of you know hundreds of years by dozens of artisans from all over the world and we were actually allowed to go and sit there with the deacon to simply share our experiences about the pilgrimage now again that is all in spanish so we did not really participate but several people came forward to sort of talk to everyone else about their experience on the on the camino i would say of course the majority of these people were more outwardly religious than we are. They clearly were Catholics. But we felt very accepted and we felt it was a very special uh, moment of sharing this, these experiences and these feelings. And it's really hard to put into words, but it was a very surreal and fulfilling experience. What did you think, love? Yes, I agree with you, Quentin. Even though the two of us do not really speak Spanish, Quentin may be better than me, you could feel how reverent uh, the people were who were sharing their experiences. And it was really cool to see these pilgrims coming from all over the world to talk about why they were there, maybe for whom they were there for, what... Um, they experienced religiously or personally on the road. And even though it was the language that we could not speak, it was definitely something shared that could be felt with the heart. And actually not everyone was speaking Spanish. There were multiple people from like Latin America who were speaking Spanish and of course people from Spain. But then there was one woman who shared and she is from Portugal. So she just spoke in Portuguese, but I guess it was more intelligible <laughs> across, you know, people who speak Spanish and she could understand what they were saying. But for us, you know, I got the gist. I didn't get the details, but it was still, um, I got the, the vibe <laughs> of the place. As a detail about speaking Portuguese in Santiago de Compostela, you're probably going to be okay because it is in Galicia, and Galicia has its own language called Galician, which is essentially closer to Portuguese than it is from Spain. It used to be an old version of Portuguese. Right. So Galicia speaks something that's between Spanish and Portuguese, and a lot of people here understand both. 
And after the sharing circle, the deacon actually led us under the altar to see the relic box that holds the relic of St. James. And that was a really special moment because you descend these stairs and you're like, oh boy, something really cool is about to happen. And boom, you see this like silver ornate box under the altar with the relics. So that was, yeah, a really special experience. And I would add to this that I was raised Lutheran, uh, which is a branch of Protestantism. So I'm familiar with churches and whatnot, but I had never seen something quite like that. And it felt very special to be let into this very, very personal, I felt, moment, because for a lot of those people, they were really expressing very personal feelings. Uh, and I just had this in funny thought that you think that you need to go from the other side of the world to experience some sort of like oh revelation by going to some unknown ceremony from like a little known culture but in reality a lot of cultures that we would consider close to us have also elements to it that we might not be familiar with and are worth sharing and experiencing yourself anywho after this we went to a chinese restaurant <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So the mass started at 7.30. By the time we left, it was, what would you say, like 10 o'clock? Like 9.30 or something. It was like an hour of mass and an hour of blessing, roughly. The um, Chinese restaurants, because despite Restaurante Terra, which is really nice, which was amazing again, we were just tired of Spanish food. We wanted something a bit different. It was actually very nice. It's called Hui Kitchen. If you go to um, Santiago de Compostela, we recommend it. It's close to the train station. And yeah, it was just quite lovely. As for the following day of Sunday, we did nothing except working on the podcast a bit. Juan did go out to see the town and buy some pastries and a bit of coffee for us, which was very nice of her. Thank you, my love. I literally stayed in a hotel. I did not leave my <laughs> bathrobe. My bathrobe. I was I was bathrobing from 10 a.m. to midnight. Five stars. I would do it again. <laughs> And actually, I ran into someone else I knew on the square. So that was great. Um, he's actually a gentleman from Washington, D.C. Woo! Shout out to D.C. people. And I met him maybe a few weeks back as well. And from across the square, I see this very serene man sitting on the ground, leaning against a pillar. And I was like, oh, Clark! So I went and said hi, and we caught up. So that was a nice moment for me that day. After Santiago, we headed out to our final destination, which is Porto in Portugal. Now, there is actually a bus that can take you directly from the Santiago bus station to Porto with a stop at the Porto airport. And there are many people who fly out of Porto after they arrive in Santiago. So that makes sense. And the whole journey was maybe about four and a half hours with one hour of time change because Porto is actually in a different time zone. We arrived in late afternoon to this absolutely stunning city, and we stayed at our hotel. <laughs> uh, this is kind of the theme, because <laughs> after so many weeks of moving around, walking and such, we were just not really feeling up to walking too much more. <laughs> and there's a lot of just enjoying the hotel. We actually had to stay at the hotel for a video call to look for our apartment because we are actually moving to Chicago. So we had to do some life admin stuff. But the following day, we did muscle up the courage to leave the hotel. And we first walked to the Louise First Bridge, which is a beautiful arch bridge that connects 
the suburb of Gaia, to Porto, with incredible views of the Douro River and the Old Town. It was super beautiful and such an iconic bridge in the city. As soon as you cross the bridge, you land in the Old Town and you stumble upon a bunch of shops. One of the first ones that we stumbled upon was Casa de Guitarra, which is a shop and museum where they make traditional Portuguese guitars. These are really, really beautiful instruments, and they're very well known to be a part of this iconic Portuguese music called Fado. So we'll talk about that later. And after visiting this museum, we headed to what is claimed to be the most beautiful bookstore in the world, Livaria Velo. This was a very, very ornate, beautiful Art Nouveau-inspired museum slash bookstore, and it was very gorgeous. You did have to pay an admissions of five euros to get in, but it was extremely crowded because it was one of these, uh, I guess, super Instagrammable places. So lots of people were in there taking pictures. We then just walked around and explored the old town of Porto, including checking out what I think is actually one of the most beautiful train stations in the world called the Sao Bento train station. We then went to the Mercado de Balao, which is a really neat and beautiful covered market with many different food items, flowers, and coffee shops. And we just walked around and enjoyed all of the local produce. Then we walked around Old Town some more, visited some churches, saw some cathedrals, and basically just enjoyed a day exploring Porto. Right, and throughout the day, we also spent quite some time trying the local foods. Uh, one that you have to try when you go to Portugal, especially Porto, is the Francesinha. It is essentially a big, big ham sandwich that is drowned in a butter sauce. In our case, we get the version with the egg on top. It's very nice, but it is very heavy. But tasty, you know, there's a lot of, loads of flavor. They're just very in your face and, again, very heavy. Our favorite thing that we had were, of course, the pastéis de nata, those little egg tarts, because you can find them in a lot of places, but for them to really taste as they should, you have to have the right stuff with the right puff pastry, and in Porto is absolutely the case. They are delicious. We had so many, like just two days, we just had like five or six each or something. <laughs> it was just delicious. And I'd say on top of that, we stopped at a few random cafes when we were feeling a bit peckish or wanted to grab a bite. And I would say they were very satisfying. So maybe it's not fair to compare to Spain because Porto is a much bigger city than the ones we stopped at. But I would say that in Porto, when we stopped in a random cafe, we grabbed, you know, literally pointed at something in the window that looked tasty. It was tasty. It was flavorful. While a lot of places in Spain, the food was, you know, a bit disappointing in those random cafes. And finally, another thing that we, of course, tried is port. Port wine, which is from Porto. We specifically tried a port from Sandeman, which is one of the oldest distilleries in Porto from like 1790. Just sitting on a terrace, watching the sun go down. It was absolutely lovely. And Juan is not a huge fan of port wine because it's quite sweet. I personally like it, but in small quantities for sure. I really like my cocktail that I had that was made with port and tonic though, because it really balanced out the sweetness of the port. Yeah, it was delicious. It was like a gin tonic, but with port. It was really tasty, I have to say. Another thing, random thing that we wanted to mention is the quality of the street buskers. 
I do not know what it is about Porto, I've been to a lot of city with a lot of buskers on the street playing music, but Porto, the people playing there are top tier. I haven't seen that since Berlin, easily. There's of course a lot of bossa nova, which is a Brazilian style, so of course there's a lot of cultural link with uh, Portugal, and just so many people with lovely voices and very competent guitar playing or, or instrument playing in general. All in all, it was a great time just walking around. There's definitely areas of Porto where you hear the next busker before you stop hearing the one you're passing through. So there's areas where you hear two or three at once. It can be a bit jarring. But that was for our first day, our first full day in Porto. For the next one, which was the Wednesday, our big thing was that we went surfing. Now, Juan had already tried it once in Indonesia, right? Yeah, in Bali. In Bali. For me, it was the first time. It is very, very fun, but it confirmed that we are not really good at it. <laughs> it was, it's exhausting. It was about two hours. You get five minutes of teaching. You get five minutes on the beach where they tell you roughly how to move. And then, boom, you go in the water and for an hour 45, you just eat shit. You just eat <laughs> shit for an hour and 45 in the water. There's one wave that I genuinely thought was going to be the last thing I was going to see in my life. Uh, I had a great time. I think, Juana, you had a great time too? Yeah, I mean, it was better than the first time because when I was in Indonesia, it was a two-hour course. I lasted for 30 minutes and tapped out and went on the beach and had a coconut instead. And I told the instructor, please just keep your money. Thank you. I've tried it. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but this time I stayed in the water for two hours. I think I dislocated my shoulder, but um, other than that, I would not say that I took to it like uh, fish in water, <laughs> but um, it wasn't 100% terrible. I think I saw you, Quentin, actually get up on the board, right? Multiple times. I think I got up maybe for like three seconds maximum before crashing. But overall, I'm glad we did it. We tried something new and it was uncomfortable, but we did it anyways. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I gave it a try. I might actually give it another try in the future. Uh, I think that after the Camino, I was both in a good shape in the sense that I lost some weight and, you know, my, my legs feel strong, but at the same time, I was also carrying five weeks of just fatigue. So after an hour in the water, I was just completely out of it. But all in all, I'm glad we did it. I would say the waves and the beach did feel like it is a very good place for first-time surfers. I mean, the water was very shallow for a long stretch of the beach, so you didn't really have to paddle out. I think that's why I did stay as long as I did instead of in Indonesia where I couldn't touch the bottom, so I had to paddle with my arms out into the ocean every time. So this time you could actually just walk your board and it was easier. Right, and after surfing, we simply walked around to try and find a place to eat, see the neighborhood. We actually ended up going to another market that was not really uh, in our plans, but we found a little Brazilian place there that was very tasty in its own way. We found a Brazilian place that was also very tasty and people were very nice, even though it was closing time and we kept on ordering food. Um, and after that, we were like, okay, let's go see the world, etc. And we realized we were dead tired from surfing and actually just went back to the hotel and had a nap. But after a nap, we were back to being invigorated and we went to go see a Fado performance. So 
So Juan had mentioned that we went to the Casa de Guitarra the day before and we had actually bought tickets for a Fado performance the following day, i.e. I today. It was incredible. I had a, an amazing time. So Fado, if you're not familiar, is a singing style, I would say. It's a musical style that's essentially based on lower class, working class people singing songs to express their pain and the hardships that they live. So it's very associated with dock workers and fishwives and fishermen and whatnot. It's usually played in very simple style. You have one woman singing with a couple instruments. When we went, it was one classical guitar, so flamenco style guitar, and one Portuguese guitar. I think there can be different ways of playing it, but that's essentially it. And the songs are just beautiful and haunting, very, actually very reminiscent of some aspects of French songs, like modern French songs. You can tell that there's a lot of cross-pollination between uh, the countries, but we had an amazing time. She had such an incredible voice. And we got a glass of port. How about you, love? Did you like it? Oh, yeah. Chills, I tell you. Chills. <laughs> And I would say at this point, that's about the rest, uh, the end of our trip in Porto, because the following day, we had a flight quite early. So we just went to the airport very early in the morning. And by the end of the following day, we were back in the US. So that's it for in-flight entertainment. And now how about we talk turbulence instead? What happened this week that did not go according to plan? And for me, everything went great, to be honest. That's maybe the first or second week I say that. There's really not much turbulence to mention. Of course, we were just, you know, sightseeing for most of it. So why would there be a problem? If I have to nitpick, the one thing that did not work out as intended and is really a massive nitpick is that Porto's machines to buy Metro tickets and all that, you know, those automated machines... They're a bit finicky, they're not really well designed, and it's not very clear how much you need to pay to go to the stations you want to go to. So really, that's the one thing I could find that did not really go according to plan uh, for this week. How about you, Lo? For me, the turbulence actually came at the very, 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 very last moment, which had to do with our flight back to D.C., so I had booked these flights from Porto to IAD, so Washington Dulles, a while ago using points, of course, because that's how we fly. <laughs> oh my, so many bad puns this episode. And I noticed that for a few weeks leading up to our trip, our flight was cancelled and rescheduled twice, so that was already not the best sign. I had already checked into our flight, which had three segments, actually, and it was Porto to Amsterdam. Amsterdam to JFK in New York, and JFK to IAD. And this flight was leaving Porto at 11 a.m. on Thursday. So around midnight when we got home, I thought, you know what, let me just look at everything one more time and before, just to make sure we're ready to go. And of course, I see that the JFK to DC leg has been canceled. Oh, I mean, we're so lucky that we didn't have any flight disruptions all the way up until the very end, but it got to us. So, of course, we got on the phone with Flying Blue, and we tried the KLM office, we tried the Air France office in Europe, we got hung up on a bunch of times, and then finally we called the US number and got through to someone and was on the phone with them for a while, and they completely changed our itinerary. 
So instead of the 11 a.m. flight, we ended up getting on a 7 a.m. flight. Yes. <laughs> so we called at midnight for a 7 a.m. flight that day. And the itinerary was totally different. So it went from Porto to Madrid, Madrid to Paris, and then Paris directly to D.C. And we actually got back to D.C. much earlier than we would have if we had taken our original flight. And our first flight got bumped to business class, which, you know, didn't really mean much other than they tagged our luggage with priority. And that was great. And it really gave me the peace of mind that our bags were going to make it. So we did, I mean, all is well that ends well, and it was kind of chaotic at midnight just before our flight, but we made it back okay, and all is well. Okay, so it's that time of the week in which we talk about flying high. Quentin, kick us off. Well, for me, the flying high this week is the pilgrim's blessing, of course. Again, I've try to convey just how special and intimate uh, this moment felt after the Mass being able to re... Again, we didn't re-exchange because we were limited by the language, but being able to be let in, I would say, uh, into this very special space and this very special moment, for me, it meant a lot. And it's really where I felt like we had completed the Camino. This is, for me, where it hit. This is where I felt a sense of being done with it, a sense of now I'm ready to continue, I'm ready to start the rest of my life, so to speak. So this was a, an absolute highlight for me. And of course, otherwise, how beautiful Porto was. Porto is, we've described, you know, we, we went a bit fast as to what we did and saw, but really Porto is just beautiful to walk through. It's just a gorgeous city, this beautiful churches and buildings everywhere. There's so much tiling on the walls that's also gorgeous. It was just a great time. How about you, love? For me, of course, it was also the Pilgrim's Blessing. But since Quentin already talked about that, I'll talk about the second thing that I thought was my flying high, which is the food at the Restaurante Terra. So this dining experience really affirmed that there is amazing food in Spain. Let me just quickly read you the list of some of the things that we ate there. It was like a nine plus course meal with wine pairing, okay? And every course was incredible. So we started with some potato cream with some carazon, which is Spain's version to Parmesan, and smoked paprika in this little shell. Amazing. Then they had cherry tomatoes with parsley, shallot, and hake. Then mussels in a carrot emulsion. Then a mackle cream soup with roasted pepper and this like jellyfish emulsion. Amazing. Then a pumpkin soup with mandarin reduction. Then haddock with sherry vinegar reduced with a celery root puree. Then beef cheek. Oh my goodness. Beef cheek cooked in dark beer with a raspberry sauce. Then two desserts, lemon sorbet with mandarins and meringue, and a roasted fig ice cream with gingerbread. Yes, my mouth is watering just thinking back to this experience. And I really hope that these chefs get the prestige that they really truly deserve and get their Michelin star soon. Again, you heard it here first. I know last year, Quinta and I went to this restaurant in Chicago called Kasama. And we said, wow, this is an incredible place. And sure enough, that year, they got their Michelin star. So let's hope that the chefs at Restaurante Terra also get their star soon. 
Yeah, and on top of the food, I, I've i mentioned it before, but it also came with a wine pairing, which I took, Juan didn't take it. And that was essentially like a glass of wine for each one of these <laughs> dishes. <laughs> so I had to pace myself. Uh, it was all local wines as well. I'm usually not big on Spanish wines, but they did a great job curating the list of wines. It was very, very tasty. Really went well with the dishes. All in all, five stars. And with that, that is the end of our trip. After Porto, we flew back to the US, where many more adventures await us. But that doesn't mean the podcast is over. We'll still have a few more episodes that we'll like to do that's about retrospectives in terms of money, what we packed, what we learned, and points and miles, of course. So there's still plenty to talk about. So stay tuned and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast. And to reach us by email at invitedalong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.